This episode of Rudder Dead is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new mystery books to read but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail and recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. And TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 83, and we're recording on Tuesday, August 11th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? I'm good. I am uh, feeling very grateful that I am not one of the people in the Chicagoland area who lost power internet over the course of the past 24 hours, or got majorly, like, you know hit by I mean the storms definitely passed through but nothing major really happened in my area thank goodness yes no same with me although fun story I I was working at the library where I work and the storm came through I was the person in charge so that meant I had to kind of do a little disaster preparedness of ahead of time before this giant storm came rolling in so I, I've gathered up the emergency radio. I made sure our clothes signs were ready to go, ready to put them up as soon as the storm hit, because I knew we were going to have to take shelter in the basement. Yeah. And sure enough, we take shelter in the basement. And as soon as we get down there, the power went out. And the power did not come back on until this afternoon. So oh, wow. it was off for it was off for about 24 hours we lost, well, we only lost an hour yesterday. I got to make the executive decision to close the library due to power outage, so I can mm-hmm. check that off my bucket list. <laughs> I used my power responsibly. <laughs> but yeah, we lost a day of service today because the power kept going on and off and on and off. And so we just said, you know what? We, no. <laughs> but thankfully, that was the worst that we had to deal with. But I know some people were like, their internet, their power, everything just was completely obliterated. Yeah, it was funny because yesterday I was like on a Zoom call with one of the supervisors in my department and we like got basically like both an email and text alert from our company because we have like emergency, you know, text alerts for our company. And they like just basically said like tornado warning, like take shelter. And it's like the one that you get if you're in the office. So that way it says like, you know, go like if you're in the office building, you have to like, obviously, like go to the basement, go to specific areas, depending on where you sit in the office. Um, And so we were both kind of like, wait, is it that bad outside? Because like, neither of us really realized, like, we just thought it was going to thunderstorm. We didn't think like anything of it. And then I, I'm like, still on the zoom call, and we're talking about stuff. And I was like, hang on a second. And I like took off a headphone from one of my ears. And I'm like, pretty sure the tornado siren's going off right now. And she's like, um, okay, we're going to end this. Go to your basement. <laughs> I'm like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was going to storm, but I didn't realize how bad it was supposed to be until I checked the radar that morning. And then it's like, okay, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then just red, just yeah. all, just all across Illinois. Yeah. And 
where both where where I live and where I work, the storm was not nearly as bad as what I was anticipating. I mean, yeah. the sirens went off, but it went through so fast. We we got some heavy winds, but it was so short-lived. I don't even know that we got the hail that they were predicting. And by the time it was over, I was like, seriously? <laughs> like, I'm thinking of almost 10 years ago when there was just a huge storm yeah. that came up through the north shore of Chicago and the northern suburbs and uh, northern counties in Illinois. I mean, there was a tree in my neighborhood that was over 50, 50 feet tall that just got ripped up by the roots mm-hmm. by this storm. And it was just laying across the street. I mean, this was a monstrous tree. Like, that's what that's what I was thinking of. This, I was like, oh, that's nothing. Come on now. But of yeah. course, our power went out at the library because you look, you look at the power box wrong and it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that's what everyone is expecting. I mean, honestly, like, it's no complaints for me whatsoever. But I was just very surprised at how, like, quickly it was done. Because they were like, just take shelter from 3.30 to 4.30. And I was like, what? <laughs> that's it? Okay. <laughs> And at home, we our apartment is all on the second level. We don't really have a place that we can go into. So Blaine had to try and wrangle... Well, uh, backstory, la- after we recorded our last episode, Blaine and I ended up adopting a new cat. Oh, yay! Yay! So we have this new cat who's been in our house for like two weeks. Blaine corralled him into his carrier, got him into the laundry room. Cat is not happy. Of course. Resident cat is hiding under the couch. We cannot get... Blaine could not get him out from under the couch. So I'm like, he's he's sheltered in place. Just leave him there and check on him. So poor Blaine had, had to deal with two very upset cats that afternoon. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> anyways, we've all survived, luckily, so... There's that. That's basically my theme for 2020. I've survived. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that some, I think most days that's about all you can ask for. Honestly. All right. So jumping into the episode, I have our first sponsor, and that is the audiobook edition of The First to Lie by bestselling and award-winning author Hank Philippi Ryan. Nora, a con artist, falls in love but cannot possibly reveal her day job to her fiancé, Lucas. Ellie, an investigative reporter, is working to blow the lid off a scandal involving Nora's nefarious colleagues. She's also in love with a man named Lucas, who seems to be conning her. So Ryan delivers another twisty, thrilling cat and mouse novel of suspense that will have you guessing and second guessing and then gasping with surprise. This is a standalone novel, and if you haven't read Ryan before, uh, this book is perfect for fans of B.A. Paris and Lisa Scottaline. Hank Philippi Ryan is also like an award-winning reporter from Boston, so she has a lot of experience dealing with uh, crime stories. So if you are all interested in that, you can go ahead and pick up the audiobook edition of The First to Lie by Hank Philippi Ryan, which is available now wherever audiobooks are sold, and we thank them so much for sponsoring the episode. All right. So if you are new to the show, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We're delighted to have everyone here with us. It's always so much fun to get to talk about mysteries and suspense every couple of weeks. So if you are new to the show, this is the point in the episode where we put out a call to our listeners to contact us if you have any suggestions for 
upcoming topics to talk about in future episodes. We've done a lot of previous episodes that have been based around listener suggestions, whether it's a new subgenre that you're interested in or something that you heard about in the news, or it's reading suggestions for a particular author or read-alikes for a particular author. As long as it falls under the umbrella of mystery and suspense somehow, it's fair game. We've used these topics to come up with really interesting episode ideas that have exposed Rincey and me to a bunch of really awesome authors and subgenres and areas of the genre that we hadn't explored yet. So we always put out a call at the beginning, so get those thinking caps on. If you do have any suggestions for us, please let us know. We'll have our contact information at the end of the show, but we always like to put out that call ahead of time. So with that, I guess we'll jump into our new segment. And Rincey, I will let you go first because you seem to have a clairvoyant moment on our last episode. So you you get first, you get to jump in first with the news with the news items this week. All right. So first up, we have a little bit of adaptation news, and that is Paper Gods by Goldie Taylor has been picked up to be adapted by John Legend's Get Lifted Film Company. And that production company is also teaming up with the actress Nia Long, who will also be starring in it. Um, This is going to become a TV show for ABC. And yeah, it's really funny because if you aren't aware or you're like, this sounds kind of familiar, this is basically the book that I picked to talk about in our last episode. And so, you know, I just have really great timing. <laughs> or, you know, it's proof that, like, listen to Rudder Dead and you can be ahead of the curve. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so if... um you didn't listen to last the last episode or anything like that. Paper Gods takes place in Atlanta and you are following this mayor. The mayor of Atlanta in this book is Victoria Dobb and Victoria Dobb will be played by Nia Long as well, which I actually think is really great casting. I could totally see that in my head. Um, but it basically looks at this like political assassination that takes place at a church and kind of like all of the conspiracy and all of the sort of strings that are being pulled behind the scenes for all of this. Um, I even said this in the last episode that reading this book, it reminded me a lot of different TV shows that I've watched over the years. And so like adapting this for ABC sounds honestly like super, super perfect. Like this will 100% work with on a Thursday night with a bunch of like Shonda Rhimes types of stories. Like it is on that level, sort of like drama and stuff like that. So I'm really excited to kind of see how this turns out and to see like what they end up pulling and not pulling. Obviously a TV show is a little bit different than a movie adaptation, um, especially for a network television, because I'm sure they'll have to use this as probably like basis as an inspiration and then kind of build from there. So uh, congratulations to everyone involved in that, including myself for having a really great timing. <laughs> this episode, Rincey congratulates herself. <laughs> Look, it doesn't happen often, but... <laughs> hey, take your wins where you can find them. Exactly. That's the motto of 2020. <laughs> All right. So secondly, we have a bit of award news to announce. The Sisters in Crime have announced the winner of the Eleanor Taylor Bland Crime Fiction Writers of Color Award. And this award is given to a writer's novel in progress. So it's not a book that you can pick up yet, but this is a really good way if you want to stay ahead of the curve, keep an eye on some of these some of these authors who are probably going to be your next big up and coming writer to keep an eye on. This is a really good resource for that. So 
The winner of this year's Eleanor Taylor Bland Award is Yasmin McClinton of Columbia, South Carolina, and her novel In Progress was selected by the judging panel consisting of uh, Rachel Housel-Hall, who Rincey and I have both read and we really enjoy her books, Alex Segura, and the 2019 winner of the award, Jessica Martinez. So we don't have any information about the actual novel in progress, but Yasmin McClinton would be a really good author to keep an eye on as she works her way towards hopefully publishing her crime fiction novel. So yeah, I'm, I love these types of awards. It's it's you get a list of authors that you can just kind of like keep in your back pocket. And then like when they publish your book, you'd be like, Oh, yeah, I knew about them before they were published. <laughs> so we'll have information about that linked in the show notes. And then finally, we have kind of a combination news item. First off, Megan Abbott, who is a Red or Dead and a Book Riot favorite, has a new book coming out in 2021. So jazz hands. Woohoo. <laughs> And it's already been picked up for a TV adaptation, which is not surprising. There isn't a ton of information about the upcoming book, although it does center around a ballet school, which if you have read any of Megan Abbott's books before, this is not at all surprising. And I actually had to stop and think and go, wait a minute, didn't she already do a ballet novel? But no, she hasn't. (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of surprised when I read like the little synopsis and I was like, oh, this is like 100% in the Megan Abbott wheelhouse. I'm very surprised this doesn't exist yet. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about some of her more recent novels, she's done novels centered around cheerleading, gymnastics. So she did deviate from sports a little bit with her most recent novel, Give Me Your Hand, which is about two female scientists. But her books are very focused on arenas that are very competitive, especially for women. So a ballet school sound is just absolutely, absolutely perfect. And clearly the the people in Hollywood figured that out too. And so they've snapped up the rights to it. And it, yeah, there isn't much information about the TV adaptation other than the TV adaptation will exist. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited. The book is set to be released in summer of 2021. Obviously doesn't have a specific release date yet, but I am really excited. As am I. All right. Um, so that's it for news items. So we're going to jump straight into our main discussion for this episode. Um, so the reason why we decided to do our topic this week was inspired by Katie and her recent television watching, (laughs) basically. It's true. Yeah. I mean, so we decided to do a theme based around cold cases, which again, this is one of those things where I'm like, I was very surprised because I was like, oh, I'm surprised we haven't done something like this before. Um, But Katie, do you want to talk a little bit about what you've been watching lately? Yes, I do. And in fact, if you are a Book Riot Insider's subscriber and you get access to the remix podcast i the next upcoming episode i do with amanda nelson we talk about the tv we've been watching during quarantine and i talk about my cold case marathons so basically a few weeks ago blaine and i decided to watch the new season of unsolved mysteries on netflix because we were we were just looking for something new to watch and we watched one episode and we went holy crap we need to watch a second episode like right now and so Unsolved Mysteries, obviously the 
the gist of it is in the title. It's been a long-running series, but they have updated it for the modern era. Old episodes used to... I think they used to feature, like, a few different, like, unsolved crimes or just unexplained happenings. Some of them might be paranormal. It just, things that, that happened that were mysterious or there was a crime that, that hadn't been solved. And so they'd ask the viewers, can you provide information to help us solve these crimes? And throughout the years, people have been able to provide information to help solve some of these crimes, which is really cool. So instead of focusing on a few different topics per episode, each episode features on one specific case, and then basically they present what happened through dramatic reenactments and interviews with the family members and everyone who is involved. And they detail the investigation and all of this stuff. But by the end of the episode, you, you don't know what happened. It hasn't been solved yet. So they ask, if you have any information, please let us know. And there's only six episodes to start with, but they say they're going to be releasing more episodes later this year. And Blaine and I are like, oh my god, we need to watch this right now. But the episodes that they pick, the instances that of... There's, you know, most most of them center around murder. There's one alien episode, which honestly, I mean, I think I think stories about aliens are interesting, but the the murder ones were really 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 interesting. And what's really cool is that when this season aired, the producers apparently went to Reddit and they found a I don't remember which subreddit they went to, but they basically went on there and said, hey, here are the case files. Here is all the information and evidence that we have, including stuff that wasn't that we didn't have time to include in the episodes. Can you help us solve this? So they really are like leaning into this, helping you know, getting everyday people to help them solve these crimes. Like they actually went to Reddit and people are starting to provide information. Tips are coming in on some of these cases. So now I'm like every few days I'm like checking some of these different some of these different cases like, oh what happened now? What happened now? Does you know are there any new updates? But it was so fascinating. And then once we finished Unsolved Mysteries, Blaine and I went right to Cold Case Files, which also has like 10 new episodes that were released last year, I think. Those are a little bit different in that at the by the end of those episodes, the cold case has been solved. There's just such a long gap between when the crime actually happened and when when the crime is solved that it was considered a cold case, but these get these get solved. So you get more resolution with the cold case files. But yeah, we've we just blew through these episodes so fast and it just kind of put me on a true crime kick. So yeah, I I asked Rincey, I said, why don't we do a cold case episode? Because there's so many true crime books about cold cases, and I think I've talked about several of them on the show. So I've been yapping for long enough. Rincey, I would love for you to talk about the book that you read, especially because it's like a brand new release. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into it, I'm just going to say I haven't watched Unsolved Mysteries. I did watch episodes or parts of episodes when we were younger, like when the or the original, not original, but you know, the one that was airing before. Um, and it would like terrify me because I would just because like the lack of resolution would just be so unsettling to like, you know, 10 year old me. So I could <laughs> never handle it. So I haven't watched the new one. But my favorite joke on Twitter, which is such a dumb joke, but I still laughed every time was everyone being like, I know it's called unsolved mysteries but i can't believe that these mysteries are unsolved like they would get to the they would watch the first episode and be like wait there's no ending (laughs) 
I don't know why. Crack yeah. me up. <laughs> well, I mean, in mysteries, you kind of expect that answer to be there. Right. At the end, and then it just kind of leaves you hanging. So you're just like, no, but what happened? Yeah. Um, I will say that these new episodes are extremely unsettling. Like, true crime affects me in a way that other dark and demented, like, fictional stuff doesn't. And th- some of these are really, like, ugh. Yeah. And some of them, you you watch the episode, Blaine and I are having fun, like, f- we, we have our own theories about who did it and stuff like that. So the per- a particular person would come on and we're like, oh, yeah, he did it. Why has no one figured out that this guy did it? Come on now. <laughs> so we've got our own theories, but sadly, that's not enough to convict someone of a crime. Right. <laughs> Which is probably a good thing. Um, so anyways. The book that I read for this episode is Yellowbird by Sierra Crane Murdoch. And the subtitle to this book is Oil, Murder, and a Woman's Search for Justice in Indian Country. This is a book that came out in February of this year. So like Katie said, a relatively new release. I will say off the bat, this is not a book that will appeal to everyone, but this is a book that appealed to me personally. So in this story... Sierra Crane Murdoch, who is a journalist, uh, was basically following these couple of crimes that were happening in North Dakota. So she started reporting on the North Dakota oil boom that was happening and sort of what was happening to some of the Indian reservations there because of like basically the boom of like drugs in that area and the number of like addicts and overdoses and all of that stuff that was happening. Um, And I think she started her writing and reporting on this in like the 2014 sort of time. And while she's sort of looking into this, she also finds out about a death that has occurred on a reservation uh, work site, like an oil work site. Um, This guy named Christopher or KC has basically gone missing and he worked on the oil field and no one knows what happened to him. And basically no one was trying to look for him either. His mom basically made a Facebook page just trying to get anyone to potentially look for him, just even find his body, anything along those lines. Like they don't even know if he's dead or alive. And so there is this woman named Lisa Yellowbird who basically finds out about this and becomes extremely obsessed with trying to figure out what exactly happened to Casey. Lisa is from the nearby reservation and so she still has like family members in the area and so she contacts Casey's mom named Jill tells her like she'll start asking some questions and start looking around and stuff like that but she gets like basically pulled in pretty deep um, into the investigation Obviously, he worked on the oil fields, and so there's a lot of sort of theories about people's involvement, whether it be from the reservations or not. Um, And the reason why this book will not necessarily appeal to everyone is because this is basically like two stories in one. Um, One of them, or actually it might be three stories in one. (laughs) One of them is about uh, Lisa Yellowbird, who has this like extremely unbelievable life, but is somehow like come out on like the right side. Like she was addicted to drugs herself. Uh, She went to jail and was released in 2009. There was a short period of time where she was dealing drugs, where she was like in prostitution, all of this stuff. She has kids, um, but she like lives on her own. She was in like abusive relationships, all of this stuff. And so she's basically overcome all of this. And after she gets out of prison, she ends up basically going, becoming sober and like on the straight and narrow for the most part. 
But like her sort of addictive personality pulls her into this case. So part of it is about like Lisa and her family and her history. Part of it is about sort of what's happening in North Dakota and what's happening sort of within this specific Indian reservation and kind of like how that relates to other sort of reservations throughout the United States. And kind of also talking about basically like what is happening with oil companies and oil industries in the United States. Um, I read a book earlier this year uh, called Amity and Prosperity, which is a completely separate book, but it's all about like fracking in the United States and stuff like that. And so I'm someone who's like kind of interested in those things about like what's happening with the oil industry in the United States right now and sort of like the shadier practices that are currently going on. Um, And then the third piece is obviously like this true crime aspect of what happened to uh, Christopher Casey Clark. I mean, I really enjoyed this book a lot. I will say like there are a lot of like pieces of information that are put into this book. You can kind of tell that Sierra Crane Murdoch was like just completely fascinated by Lisa Yellowbird and like her family and that situation. And so part of me wonders like why that wasn't a story the book in and of itself um but obviously like this true crime aspect of it is like extremely compelling as well uh he like i said this guy went missing in like 2012 and then i think i'm not gonna like give away quote unquote what happens although obviously this is like nonfiction and you could google it yourself um but i'm not gonna give away what happens but basically like nothing really happens in regards to this case until like 2015 or so and it's mostly because of lisa yellowbird and she like keeps finding information related to this case and basically feeding it to um, different people. And one of the really interesting things about this book is it talks about sort of the jurisdiction aspects of it, or at least interesting for me because I'm a nerd, the jurisdiction aspects of it. Because if you aren't aware, like if there are Indian reservations, uh, there's like different sort of jurisdiction laws in terms of like Native people being able to prosecute and, you know, they have their own sort of like police force and judicial things that they deal with when things happen on their reservation. Um, And then sort of like the local cops or whatever will deal with the stuff outside of the reservation. And there can be like a lot of problems because like if something happens to a native person outside of their reservation, there are all these sort of like weird systems in place that like nothing ends up happening because like the native people will be like, well, it didn't happen on our property. So we're not taking care of it. And then the local cops are like, well, it happened to a native person. So we're not dealing with it. And even if like the native person is the person who does the crime or a white person does something on the native lands, like all of that stuff, like it becomes very murky situation. And sometimes it even has to go to like a federal level in order to just (laughs) get the case moving, which is part of the problem with this, like this white man goes missing, basically on or near a reservation. And so like, there's all of these sort of no one's dealing with it, because no one thinks it's within their jurisdiction. And so sort of navigating that and Lisa's sort of having to send information to a bunch of different people just to get anyone to bite on it. And basically the only reason why this case moves forward is because there was someone at the, I think it's the FBI, who was basically just just starting out or relatively new to his position and was looking for something to work on that he thought would be like good for his career. Um, so he heard about the case and was like, hey, this sounds like it would be a really good case to potentially solve. And so he decides to just start looking into it. It's literally just based on that like sort of coincidence. 
So yeah, I mean, like I said, I really enjoyed it because I enjoy all of those sort of individual aspects of it. Like if you really enjoy memoirs, you'll probably enjoy like the parts about uh, Lisa Yellowbird and her family and their history. Um, if you enjoy information about sort of Native American life here, obviously this is talking about one specific reservation, but I think that there's a lot of really interesting information about sort of what this reservation is doing. Um, it talks about basically the way the oil boom has impacted uh, Native American people because they a lot, not a lot, but there were like these huge payouts from oil companies into uh, Native reservations, different families, things along those lines. And there's a lot of debate about whether or not that was the right thing to do. Some people believe that this is them basically getting any sort of payment for like all of the crap that they've had to deal with for, you know, hundreds of years in the United States. Um, and other people are like, well, maybe we shouldn't have done it like this and we shouldn't be selling it to these companies who are not necessarily taking care of the land. Um, there's also a whole nother issue of like not everyone always getting paid out and not everyone getting paid out in huge amounts. Um, and then also the sort of conversation that always occurs when people who didn't have a lot of money suddenly get like a huge, huge influx of money and them not really being sure of what to do with it. And then it ends up being a terrible thing, i.e. the boom of drugs and things along those lines in these areas. So yeah, there's like a lot of layers in here. There's a lot of different characters in here. But in general, I really, really enjoyed this book a lot. And I think that if, again, any of those topics are of interest to you, then this is worth picking up. Uh, but just be aware that there's, you know, those sort of like three aspects of it. So if you really are into like the just the true crime parts of it, there are going to be chapters where you're like, I don't really want to read about this person's life anymore. But I think it all, you know, works out in the end. And personally, I was like, really compelled to kind of just see what was going to happen with this case and stuff like that. And was it going to be resolved? Were they ever going to find Casey's body? And minor spoiler, there's even more that's happening in this area than just uh, Casey disappearing. So um, again, that book is called Yellow Bird, and that is by Sierra Crane Murdoch. All right, so I'm going to take a brief step away from cold cases for a second because I have our second sponsor, and that is The Nemesis Manifesto by Eric Van Lusbader. And this book has Russian meddling, American fragmentation, global politics colliding in this brand new action-packed thriller. So this is a harrowing adventure of the predatory forces that are threatening the fabric of democracy and kicks off a compelling new series with a new hero for our time. So Evan Ryder is a lone wolf, a field agent for a black ops arm of the Department of Defense, who has dedicated her life to protecting her country. When her fellow agents begin to be systematically eliminated, Evan must unravel the thread that ties them all together before her name comes up on the kill list. So if the author, Eric Van Lusbader, sounds familiar, he was chosen by Robert Ludlum's estate to continue the Jason Bourne series. So you may have read one of those books in the past. So this is a brand new non-Jason Bourne series, but with all of the same action-packed thrills that you have come to know from him. Evan Ryder is a brand new kick-butt female hero, and this looks to be like a really exciting read. Eric Van Lusbader is a favorite of authors like David Baldacci, Steve Barry, Raymond Curry. So if you are a fan of any of those authors, you might really enjoy this book. So again, that is The Nemesis Manifesto by Eric Van Lusbader, and we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so back to cold cases. So the quick story, I had read a new to me book for this episode. But to be honest, 
I wasn't super thrilled with it, and I didn't want to come on the podcast and talk about a book that I wasn't super thrilled about. Because to me, it kind of, it took a cold case, but it only really gave it a surface level treatment. It didn't really dig into the, to a lot of the issues that I felt it really could have. There was a lot of stuff going on, but it just didn't dig in the way I really wanted it to. So I decided that I was going to bring back a book that I have talked about on the podcast before, but it has been a long time. So this, you may have completely forgotten about when I talked about it last time. This is Lost Girls, an Unsolved American Mystery by Robert Kolker. And I listened to this on audio a couple years ago, I think. And this book is was super interesting because it's a look at a series of killings that were happening on Long Island that have that were happening very, very recently, like within the last 20 years or so. And they attribute a lot of these killings to a serial killer who is still at large. So the one of the reasons why this why these crimes have gone unsolved is because the victims of these crimes were women who were primarily online escorts or they were involved in some kind of some type of sex work. And so when they were murdered, it was basically it was hard for local law enforcement to drum up the resources to look into what happened to these women. And what this book does a really great job of is it doesn't just look at the crimes and, oh, who's the killer? It looks into the community, where these crimes were happening. It looks into the world of online escorts and online sex work and Craigslist and stuff like that. And it looks at the dangers of this type of work and why someone might find themselves drawn or forced into this type of work. And it really takes a long look at the women who were killed and their families and how their deaths impacted their families and who these people were as people and what happened in their lives to push them in this direction and stuff like that. But it really takes a very multifaceted look at who these women were, which was missing when these crimes were happening. And it's really unsettling because, I mean, like the title says, this is an unsolved American mystery. This isn't, this isn't like the cold case files where you find out who done it at the end of the book. It kind of, it leaves you hanging in a way, but it's, there's an element of sadness to it because there's this modern era serial killer that has not been caught, but has killed scores of women and the police have not put forth a strong investigation. And if I if there's one downside to this book, because it has so much detail, it's not, I wouldn't call it a fast read. I, like I said, I listened to it on audio, and I remember it taking a little while to get through the audiobook, but it wasn't because I kept thinking, oh, I should listen to something else, or oh, I'm not interested. Like, I was consistently interested in this story, it just there's a lot of detail so it's a, it's it's a longer book but if you're looking for a true crime book that has a lot of depth and substance and takes kind of a takes a sociological look at the communities and the history of where these crimes are happening and it really takes a victim centric approach to finding out who these women these women were and who they were in their lives and you know understanding that they were more than just a nameless escort that someone found on Craigslist you know these were people they had lives they had families 
And that is really refreshing because it's very easy for true crime to be sensationalized or for the focus of a true crime book or documentary to focus on the killer rather than the people who were killed or who were otherwise affected by this person. But I really, really liked this book. And it was written, God, it was written a while ago. It was written in 2013. To my knowledge, I don't think there has been any any major updates on this particular case, because I think I remember listening to the book, again, even a couple years ago, and then looking to see, oh, has there been much progress made? And there hasn't been. So I don't think there's a ton of, there. there isn't a ton of information to find after you finish reading it, but it's a really, really worthwhile book. Like, really one of the most solid works of true crime that I have read in a long time. So again, that is called Lost Girls, an Unsolved American Mystery by Robert Kolker. All right. So feel free to uh, contact us and let us know what your favorite cold case books are, because I think these are, again, just really interesting for a lot of things that we talked about specifically, because like, it's always interesting to see sort of why and how these cases get left unsolved, whether it be, you know, permanently as of now, or, you know, they sit around for years and years without getting solved. So definitely feel free to uh, let us know if you have any favorites yourselves. And, you know, maybe we'll pick those up in the future. All right. So we're going to jump into new releases. Rincey and I each picked a couple of titles that are coming out in the next in the next two weeks that we wanted to highlight. So I somehow picked the only book that's coming out this week to talk about. <laughs> so I'll go first. And I think I, I actually, I take that back. I know one of us has talked about this book previously. So my best guess is that the publication date got moved at some point, thanks to COVID. But this story sounds really interesting. So I want to talk about it again. So the book is called The Monsters We Make by Callie White it comes out on August 11th. So that is today. So by the time you're listening to this, you can pick up a copy. And this book is supposed to be for fans of Renee Denfeld and Sherry Lapina. It takes place in 1984 in August, and a paper boy named Christopher Stewart has gone missing. Hours later, 12-year-old Sammy Cox hurries home from his own paper route, red-faced, out of breath, and hiding a terrible secret. So then we have Crystal, who is Sammy's 17-year-old sister, is worried by the disappearance of Christopher Stewart, but she also sees an opportunity. The Stewart case has echoes of an earlier unsolved disappearance of another boy one town over, and Crystal thinks that she can get an award-winning essay out of this, one that could win her a scholarship and a ticket out of their small Iowa town. Meanwhile, we have Officer Dale Goodkind, who cannot believe his bad luck. There's another town, another paperboy kidnapping, but this time he promises that it will not go unsolved. And as the abduction set in motion an unpredictable chain of violent, devastating events, Dale is forced to face his own demons. So this story is told through interwoven perspectives and based on the real-life Des Moines Register paperboy kidnappings in the early 1980s. The Monsters We Make explores the effects of one crime exposing another and the secrets people keep hidden from their friends, families, and sometimes even themselves. So again, that is called The Monsters We Make by Callie White, and that is out now. All right, my first pick is Three by D.A. Mishani, and this is translated by Jessica Cohen. So in this story, you start off by 
following Orna, who meets Gil on an online dating site. And after a sort of lackluster affair, it seems like nothing more than just a way to basically stave off the pain from her most recent divorce. But it soon becomes clear that Gil is not exactly who he claims to be. And Orna's own lies may be weaving an unexpected trap for her. So D.A. Mashani is an Israeli author, and so this book is set in Tel Aviv, and it's basically like this enigmatic puzzle that D.A. Mashani is putting together. It's a standalone novel, and it looks at Israel's forgotten margins. It unearths some complicated layers. It talks about different conflicts and prejudices, and it's being described as a shocking, deceptive, and subversive, slow-burning psychological thriller. So all of that, I was like, yes, I'm here for. D.A. Mashani, like I said, is like really well-known in Israel, and I've seen a couple of his books get translated into English. And so this is like the first one that's not a part of a series, it seems like. So again, that one is called Three, and it's by D.A. Mashani, and it is translated by Jessica Cohen, and that one is out on August 18th. So my next pick is 21 Immortals by Rosalind Modnour, and this book features Inspector Mislan Latif, who is taking on his final case, which could also be his really final case. And he's called to a wealthy neighborhood of Kuala Lumpur, where he finds a crime scene unlike anything else he's encountered before. It is absolutely pristine. The victims are a family seated at dinner with Mona Lisa smiles on their faces, frozen mid-gesture around the traditional Chinese New Year dish of Yi Sang, even though it's not that time of year. It's a very eerie, chilling tableau of death, but what does it signify? Plus... The father is very well-known fashion magnate named Robert Tam, and his death has already drawn a media throng, and soon the upper echelons of the police have taken an interest, bringing pressure to solve this crime quickly. But every clue points to another unknown. This isn't the primary crime scene, so where is it? What are the motives of Tam's younger business partner, Miss Irene? What about his connections to an old-school criminal gang? And then you have rival units of the police seeking to co-opt and possibly bury the case. So this investigation that Inspector Mislan takes on takes him to every level of this society where money, power, and influence absolutely demand to have their say. This is a hard-boiled novel, but it's tender. It's got, it focuses a lot on the character development. It's supposed to be very multi-layered. And this just sounds like a super, super interesting book to jump into. So again, that book is called 21 Immortals by Rosalind Modnour. All right. And then my final pick is The Less Dead by Denise Mina, who is an extremely popular crime writer. But this is a new standalone novel from her. And this one is coming out on August 18th as well. Um, you are following Dr. Margot Dunlop, who is at a crossroads. Her adoptive mom has just passed away and Margot misses her so much that she can't really begin to like empty out the house or really get her brother on the phone either. And not to mention that she's newly single, secretly pregnant, and worried about her best friend's dangerous relationship. And so in an effort to cheer herself up, she goes off in search of her birth mother, but instead she finds Nikki, her mother's sister. 
Aunt Nikki isn't what Margot expects, and she brings some upsetting news that Margot's birth mother is dead. Worse, she was murdered years ago, and her killer is still at large, sending Nikki threatening letters. So now Margot is torn. Should she stay out of the mess or try to find justice? But then Margot receives a letter too, and someone out there has been waiting and watching, and in Margot sees the splitting image of her mother. Uh, So this is a dark and also being described as funny, but also deeply affecting new thriller. You may have read Denise Mina before, uh, but if you haven't, this would be a good place to start because again, it is a standalone, so it's not in the middle of any sort of series. So if you've been interested in picking up Denise Mina, then you can go ahead and check out The Less Dead, which is out next week on August 18th. All right, so this is the part where we usually wrap up by talking about what we're currently reading or what we've just finished, but I'm going to make a quick, (laughs) and I haven't had, I've kind of been picking up books and sort of getting through them and trying to finish other ones, so I don't really have a whole lot to say. Plus, I've had to keep an eye on our new kitty, which... He, he's trying to make friends with our resident cat, and our resident cat has not yet quite warmed up to him. So I have to keep chasing the cat off, away from our resident cat. Like, leave him alone. Stop pestering him. Go sit down somewhere else. It's been very busy. That's fine. I can talk about what I've been reading. Go for it. So I will say my reading has slowed down quite a bit, but that's kind of typical for me in the summertime. But I'm currently in the middle of The Majesties by Tiffany Sow, which is one of those books that I think we both had on our most anticipated list. It came out back in January. Um, I checked it out from the library in February and then, you know, quarantine happened. So I've had it out from the library since then. And it's so finally- have I. Yeah. <laughs> well, mine is due back. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm reading this now. So if you aren't aware, uh, The Majesties is basically like a literary mystery, I would say. You are following the story of this family, specifically of these two sisters named Gwendolyn and Estella. And the story starts off basically with this big boom of it's been told that Estella has basically poisoned everyone in their family. And by everyone, it's not like just the five people, but it's like their extended family as well. There was this major birthday party that was happening for their grandfather. And so it's like hundreds of people. So Estella has poisoned all of them, including herself. And Gwendolyn is the only person who has survived this event. But Gwendolyn is also like basically in a coma. And so The story is told from Gwendolyn's point of view while she's lying in this coma, and she's trying to think back on their life and try to figure out what compelled Estella to do all of this. So this is 100% like a character-driven slow burn story. Obviously, like the big event happens at the beginning of the book. And so the entire middle part that I'm in now, I'm probably like two thirds of the way through the book right now, is just looking back on this family and what's happened in this in their lives and things along those lines. So if you are not someone who enjoys sort of slow burn, character focused, focusing on the why behind a mystery, then this is not going to be the book for you. Personally, I'm really intrigued and I really want to know what this why ends up being. I will say a slight content warning for um, the ideas behind like rape and domestic abuse. It's not there's nothing explicit so far that I've read on the page, but it does like talk about that in the book. And so just a warning for that. 
But yeah, this is like one of those situations where like this is a family that's extremely opulent. Like they are one of the top Chinese families in Indonesia. Like there's a lot of discussions about like money and power and class and things along those lines. Um, there's also been some really interesting discussions about like sort of racial tensions and sort of like the stereotypes of Chinese people in Indonesia and sort of like class segmentations and all of that stuff, which I personally find to be really interesting always. But yeah, this is a book filled with like complicated, terrible people. And I'm, like I said, completely compelled to kind of just see where it all goes. So again, that's called The Majesties by Tiffany Sow. And I will let you all know next week what I end up thinking of it. All right. And that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. And thank you to our sound editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound great. For show notes, head over to bookriot.com slash listen. We'll have links to all of the news stories we talked about at the top of the show, as well as links to all of the books that we mentioned throughout the episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can find us and discover us. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions like Katie mentioned at the top of the show, you can find us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And I'm on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.